everybody, and welcome to the Anacrusic Podcast. You are listening to episode number 19. Today on TAP, I'm talking all about how to get started with composition in the elementary music classroom. Hey party people, my name is Anne Molesky and I'm the music teacher and curriculum designer behind anacrusic.com. I'm all about making your teaching life less stressful so you can take a breath and love each and every moment you spend making music with kids. This podcast is all about discovering your most purposeful, joyful, and sequential music teacher heart through meaningful conversations and a little teacher talk. So grab a cup of coffee and kick up your feet because it's time for the Anacrusic Podcast. Okay, guys, I can hardly believe that it's the second to last episode of season one of TAP. Holy cow. Like when I started the podcast back up again in what was it, March? I did not think that this would be such a cool little whirlwind that we're on. And so many of you have reached out and said how much you're enjoying the podcast. And we've been having so much fun in the Anacrusic podcast community on Facebook, which if you're not a member of Tap Insiders, go ahead and click down in the show notes and join us. I am going to take a little bit of a break this summer, which I'll talk about in the next episode, which is going to be season one wrap up. But I'm still going to be pretty present, especially in that group. And then I have a couple of fun bonus episodes of the podcast that are going to kind of pop up when you might least expect it. So if you're not a member of the group, go ahead. I would love to have you click down below and join us. And I'm going to be popping in there an awful lot over the summer, sharing with you what's going on and giving you a little heads up when bonus episodes are being released. But anyway, let's go ahead and get on to the meat of today's show. So today's episode is something a little bit different that I wanted to experiment with here at the end of season one of the Anacrusic podcast in terms of giving you more instructional ideas for your music classroom. Now, as I stated in the relaunch of the podcast way back in episode number two, this podcast is still going to be about having conversations and is not necessarily going to be a how-to script for how to teach this specific element in your classroom. However, overarching techniques or ideas or resources are still part of a very important conversation and can be applied to lots of different teaching situations. And composition is one of those. And I want to share with you sort of some thoughts I have about composition and what a typical sequence in my classroom might look like. This episode is based largely off of a blog post that I wrote back in February, and I'll make sure to link that down on the show notes so you can take a peek at it if you would like to. And it was really to talk about how to sequence composition and also to share a resource that is pretty comprehensive and taking you from A to Z when it comes to a compositional sequence in your classroom. And I have a link in that blog post and I'll also link it separately to the resource that is basically that unit and can be used with as young as probably first grade because the compositional unit is really for ta and TT or quarter note and eighth note, whatever you call it in your classroom. So make sure to check out that blog post and the resource that's linked down below if you want some more information. 
So the first thing to think about is, okay, composition is a big, scary word, (laughs) or at least it is, was, is, still is for me. But I really think that there is no better way to find out how your students have processed information other than asking them to create with it. And that's really what composition is. It does not have to be this formal, here is your manuscript paper, here is your quill pen, now go and be Beethoven. Like that's not the point of composition. The point of composition is for students to take elements that they have learned and that they theoretically understand and that they have manipulated into music all their own. So This is the point in the learning sequence where students are showing you what they do or do not know. So it's your opportunity to take a tiny peek into their brains, whether you want to or not, and make a decision about whether or not they've really grasped what you've tried to share with them in the music room or if they need to take another lap around the block for it to be really cemented in their head. So this is really one of the most effective ways to assess your kids and also at the same time provide them opportunities to be very, very musical. But let's go ahead and talk about what it might really look like concretely within the context of your classroom. So just like anything you do in your classroom, you are not going to do composition on its own individually in a vacuum. That's not how it exists, right? Like you're not new to the party. (laughs) This is the Anacrusic podcast where we talk about being purposeful, being sequential, and being joyful. So this is all part of a sequence. And for me in my music classroom, improvisation is a big, big scaffold to composition. Like those two things really exist on a continuum to me. So even though improvisation and composition might sound really, really scary, they for me are in inextricably intertwined and extremely accessible. So let me talk to you about what I mean a little bit. So improvisation is kind of that first playing with the new information or the new content, however you want to say it. And it really functions as like that brainstorming period or playing with the information to see what feels good or sounds good to a student or a group of students or the class, however you're doing this improvisation thing, the activity you choose, whatever. Now, improvisation is spontaneously inspired. So the idea is that they have all of this context based on what you've done previously in a learning sequence because just by nature, improvisation and composition happens very, very late toward the end, toward assessment, toward reflection, all that good stuff. But it's still spontaneously inspired. So they're using all of those experiences and they are taking that context that you've helped facilitate for them within your classroom and they're creating something that they might not have thought of until the second before they do the thing. Composition is the point where the play becomes formalized and students are starting to make decisions about what felt and sounded best. So the improvisation is playing a little bit to to explore. It's like a informed exploration, I guess. And the composition point is where students are like, being inspired to do something more than once and they probably write it down in some capacity and then share it. So here is what the different steps look like going way, 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 way back to building a context for them and then all the way through to where you might actually ask students to compose. And before I even get started on these different steps, I obviously need to preface this with this is a way that I approach 
improvisation and composition. It's not the only way to do it. It's just one way that I do it. This is just an instance and I'm going to give you some concrete examples. And like I said, it's outlined in the blog post and the resource down in the show notes if you want more information. But this is not to say this is the end all be all sequence for composition. It's just a compositional sequence, not the compositional sequence, but it's a suggestion. It's a place for you to start with if this is brand new for you, a place for you to jump off from and really get inspired to do similar activities in your classroom. So I encourage you to take all this information and sort of adapt it to whatever you need to serve your students best. So for me, the very first step is how I would start with any other element. I choose a song in a game and it is focused or includes or I can isolate whatever rhythmic or melodic or other concept I want to emphasize later on in the learning sequence with improv and composition. So that was a whole big mouthful. (laughs) And that's to say that this process is not just like, oh, I'm going to do the composition thing. This song might work. Like you with any sequence, and I'll talk about this. I have plans to talk to you about this more in depth with a special bonus episode this summer. So stay tuned little aside. But as with any learning sequence, it's really important that you sit down and you design with the end in mind, meaning you're saying, okay, I want my kids to be able to compose with quarter note into eighth notes. What song could I use that I know through and through that I can use for other things in my classroom that will also be good for this activity with these elements? So For this example, I'm going to talk about composing with quarter note into eighth notes. And for me, this on Apple Tree is like a jam for quarter note into eighth notes. It's also great for presenting dough. If you're a Kodai-inspired teacher, I'm sure you know that. If you're just somebody who uses solfege in your classroom, I'm sure you know that. Um, But I also use it early on in kindergarten and in first grade for quarter note into eighth notes. So the open line uses the text apple tree, which for what I'm going to be doing later is perfect for this compositional sequence. So After I've played the song in the game and the students can keep a steady beat, they can clap the way the words go, they can do show me lots of different motives, they can do all of those good things that I want them to do to know the repertoire inside and out, there's also a time within the early part of the learning sequence for them to play even just with speech. And speech is such a wonderful place to begin with improvisation and composition just because I, I personally find in general that rhythmic concepts are easier for students to grasp quickly than melodic concepts. So I think that rhythmic elements, especially since you can center them around speech more overtly, is a really great place to start with um, this sort of improv composition continuum. So for me, apple tree is great because we have the words apple tree, apple tree <laughs> right off the bat. And apple has two sounds or is two paired eighth notes and tree is one or a quarter note. So within the context of that folk song and that game that we've done, I can also extract that speech pattern from the song, break it down into speech, um, two words by beat and create different opportunities for them to manipulate it. 
So the very first step is finding a folk song and a game that you can use in your classroom as is to sort of build the context for what you're going to be doing later on. And then the second step is to go ahead and start improvising speech patterns. So a really, this is such a good way, you guys, to get kids moving and grooving with speech. So it's way more accessible compared to like formal notation and rhythm syllables, I think, because they've had a chance to play around with something that they use each and every day because they're talking each and every day. And unfortunately, like unless they're in music or they're doing things outside of school, the odds are they're not practicing saying whatever your syllables are for a quarter note and eighth notes day after day. So the like threshold to what's the word I'm looking for? Embarrassment, not embarrassment, but like the threshold to feeling uncomfortable maybe is a little bit lower. Like they, they're more free to take risks. That's what I'm looking for. They're more free to take risks if you're using speech because it's something that's familiar to them. So if you want to get started with improvising different speech patterns, and like I said, apple tree is perfect because the words are right there within the song, but here's an idea for how you could get started doing that so students are just used to playing around with different words. So you've played the game Apple Tree a bunch of different times. The kids know the songs inside and out in the game. And you have put up a list of words that the students have helped you brainstorm that go along with the words apple and tree. So maybe they come up with the words like green or cinnamon or pie, like all of those different things. And you have a running list where they can actually see those words. So a way that you could start doing this is, first of all, you can have the whole class do like a whole class quote unquote train wreck where you say, everyone improvise, here you go. And then everybody says it and it's all different words and it's mishmash, but it also gives them the opportunity to practice with that low risk and low risk of embarrassment, like I mentioned, as you keep a beat as a whole class. But if you want to get students comfortable to do it individually, here's just one idea. So maybe you're playing the game and the way that I play Apple tree in my classroom is an elimination game so I have the kids sit in a circle and I have an apple from the craft store that they pass around and then at the end of the song whoever has the apple on the word out is out of the circle so maybe as that student is transitioning out of the circle and everybody's kind of moving in and you're getting ready to start the next round of the game instead of having that downtime where you have to talk and like redirect behavior you can make it really really seamless by having whoever was eliminated improvise eight speech beats so maybe you get to the end of the song and then you say ready set and here you go apple tree tree cinnamon green green apple tree and then you just start right back into the song without missing a beat so that's just a really really like I say low risk way especially if you've practiced as a whole class for kids just to get comfortable using different speech patterns and you're also reinforcing some of those two sounds to a beat one sound to a beat kind of ideas and I understand that the word cinnamon is not eighth notes or a quarter note so if you wanted to stay away from things like that you could but I think in this early stages where they're just playing and starting to figure out how to become independent when it comes to improvising speech patterns it's okay to leave things like that in it's later on when we get to the more finite composition portion where that's probably not going to be an option because it's probably going to be outside of the scope of their theoretical knowledge when it comes to notation and rhythms. 
So if you wanted to continue this speech improvisation into more of a compositional project where you're just um, working on speech patterns before you get to the literacy component of whatever element you're trying to teach, you could totally do that just by having students write things down. Now, Maybe that's not true composition, but I think that that's a really important scaffold to what composition will look like later when you have actual notation. So make sure that you give students parameters within this type of activity. So you want to make sure that they have like eight beats out so that they know that only one word goes over each each beat. And maybe if you're going to use this later on, like I said, if you're just doing this with first grade, you might not want to use the word cinnamon. So remember that if you're taking the sequence all the way to composition with notation, that students are able to derive whatever text you're choosing to make some of these word chains. So like my second graders wouldn't use cinnamon because I don't teach eighth and sixteenth note combinations until later in third grade. So just bear that in mind. But going on from the speech improvisation within the context of a game and then giving everybody a couple of minutes at the end of class to write down their favorite speech pattern is something that you can tuck away and then bring back out when you are ready to translate things into formal notation. So if you were going to move on to melodic content, it's really important that you are providing framework for that content with rhythms. So unless you're embarking in like free time melodic composition, which I don't necessarily recommend with like K through five students, it's really important to create rhythmic or speech parameters before you turn to melodic improv. So either have students use manipulatives or pencil and paper to establish like the speech pattern that I talked about before that they liked and then have them do it twice or do it well enough to write it down. So when you move even further along on the composition continuum, students are writing down their favorite rhythm patterns and formal notation. So if you've had them do those speech patterns and had them write those down, then they can translate them and change anything that they maybe don't like once it's in formal notation. And that's part of the revision process within composition. So once they've made those rhythm decisions, if you want to move on to some sort of melodic composition, you can do that. But it's really important to have the rhythm first. So the fourth step is to improvise within tonal parameters. So if you have students who are using certain speech patterns or certain rhythmic patterns that they know the formal notation for, um, you can probably start to embark on this melodic improvisation. So with my younger students, we spend a lot of times moving manipulatives up and down on staff lines and singing like what they want to make in terms of making melodic decisions. But with older students, you could probably do it on the bard instruments, especially if they know the complete pentatone and they can label that with absolute pitches and all that good stuff. The one piece of advice I give you is to really make sure you identify do and tell students that they need to end their improvisation on the home key. So usually as long as they can tap out whatever their rhythm pattern is or whatever their speech pattern is, they're able to transfer that to bard instruments, even if it's just like totally free. And I mean, you can talk about certain things with your students in terms of like, if you play the lowest bar and then the highest bar, that's not the most musical, like music tends to go in steps and small skips and all that kind of stuff. So um, at least when they're starting out. So by giving them those sort of tips and tricks, that's super duper helpful, along with making sure that the final note is do. If you want some really solid visuals for C pentatonic and G pentatonic and 
F pentatonic in, on the bard instruments. I have some free visual posters to show you where Do is for older students, and they're linked in the blog post that I have linked down in the show notes. So go ahead and check that out. They're free visuals that you can get inside the Anacrusic Resource Library. So now after students have had a chance to sort of play and explore on bard instruments or with manipulatives on staff lines and singing different melodies, they're going to make some decisions about what melodic combinations they like best. So it's really important here that you've talked about form and you can say, okay, some of these elemental forms like ABAB, ABAC, all of these are your friends. And so what I generally do when I'm asking students to compose is ask them to sort of give that framework first. So maybe if I have a like a little worksheet of 16 heartbeats, I might have like an A box at the beginning of the first four and then a B box at the beginning of the second four and so on and so forth. So if students can play something twice in a row or they like it and they can make decisions about what they want to tweak or what they want to keep the same, then they've probably figured it out and we've reached that compositional moment. So if they can play it a couple times in a row, that's usually a pretty good indication that they've stuck on what is their favorite. So um, if they write it down and then they take away the speech patterns or the rhythmic patterns like saying out loud that they use to create the melody and they decide they want to change something once they're just sort of listening and playing, that's okay. Just as long as they can still notate it and then play it several times in a row. So that writing it down and sharing it is really that opportunity to perform for their peers, but also for students to perform each other's compositions. So if students have written down what they like and they can share it both orally but also in formal notation, that is such a cool process. Like that's what real composers do, right? Like we get their music and we read it and we play it and we sing it and we do all of that. So a musical composition I want you to keep in mind for students is very personal and students should feel ownership over what they do, but you want to encourage students to share. So a great low risk way to do this is maybe to have them just share with a partner, let them choose their own partners, let them choose their own small groups so that the risk is very low. And then maybe the next time they come to class, they take out their compositions, they can do any small tweaks if they'd like to, or maybe you don't want to get into that. Just depends on how many how much time you have but then maybe you put them into different peer groups where they're sharing with people that they maybe normally wouldn't share with or maybe you can have everybody have their composition but there's a way for you to collect them and then give them back to students but have like a composition library of student compositions where there's no names but the student will know which one is theirs it just depends on your kids it's knowing your kids it's knowing what they're comfortable with but I think it's really great if you can find ways for students to increasingly become more confident in sharing their work because music is meant to be shared. So a great way to do that is to have them start out in partner groups that they know their partner, they get to choose their partner, and then you pair up partners with partners to make a group of four. And then maybe from then on, somebody is confident enough to have everybody play their composition for their class so like that group of four gets to play Susie's composition for the whole class and you share that way there's lots of different ways to do it I just think it's a really great idea to celebrate students who have gone from the very beginning of this process to the very end 
So just to quickly recap, there were a total of six steps. So the first was start with a familiar folk song. And that's how I said, okay, I'm going to start with Apple Tree. And I know that they know TT and Ta. And that's the rhythmic content that I can draw on later if I choose to have my students do some melodic work as well. So you start with the folk song and the game. And then the second step is to improvise speech patterns. And I find that the way that I outlined to you is the best. There's other ways to do it um, as well. I'm sure that your creative brain can come up with some other ideas. And then from improvising speech patterns, you can do a mini composition with speech patterns. Then once you've set that rhythmic content, sort of through the activities I just mentioned, you are going to provide that framework for melodic content. So have students decide which speech patterns, which formal notation patterns they like the best, and then those are the parameters for students to create a melody. So that's step number four. They get to improvise within whatever rhythmic parameters you have given them, but also you're giving them some tonal patterns parameters as well. So if it's first grade, I'm probably just saying, okay, use apple and tree, but you can only use so and me. Or if it's late first grade, there might be a law or a doe in there as well. And if it's my older kiddos, then I might be showing them those visuals I talked about. And I say you can choose what you would like to play, but make sure that you are ending on dough and that you are being very musical in terms of going stepwise and small skips when it comes to your melody. So number five is compose the melody. And again, the difference between the improvisation and the composition is the decision making. So then step number six is to write it down and share it. So the super duper condensed, (laughs) super duper condensed step of the sequence of composition for me is you're building context with the folks on in the game. Then you're moving on to improvising with speech. You may or may not translate that into formal notation. Then that's setting the parameters for whatever melodic elements you're incorporating. Then they play with the melodic elements. They make some decisions and then they write it down and they share it. So I hope that this compositional sequence was helpful. I hope that you got some good ideas about how to use improvisation and composition a little bit more informally in your classroom. If you want to see how I structure that Apple Tree unit, it's linked in the blog post. If you want those super cool ORF instrument posters, I talked about the visuals. You can go to the link in the show notes and get it inside of the free resource library. So as always, I hope that you guys are doing awesome. I hope lots of you are very very close to the end of the year if you're not already done because I'm pretty sure by the time this podcast episode goes live it's almost the end of June so if you have any questions please always feel free to reach out and until next time there's just one episode left y'all thanks for listening to the Anna Krusik podcast for more details and information from this episode check out the show notes on anacrusik.com While you're there, sign up to be an Anacrusic Insider so you get all my inside tips, tricks, and resources made just for you. It only takes a second and you'll get instant access to my free resource library. Also, if you found this episode entertaining, exciting, or informative, don't forget to share with your music besties or leave a review on iTunes.